Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. to another episode of GTF Gabriel Talks Football. My name is Aldo Gandia, and I just want to let you know that this is the first of two fresh, brand-new, minted programs you'll get on the Barroom Network. And then on tomorrow and Wednesday, we will continue our Bears coverage and all the way into the weekend while you'll get a full day of broadcasting, live broadcasting about the Chicago Bears. Let me bring in Greg Gabriel right now. Greg? I want to first say hello, but I saw on Twitter that you and a particular NFL play by, or excuse me, TV analyst with the initials MS, uh, were getting into it a little bit. You want to share with us what went on? Well, I guess, you know, I, I must have insulted Mark Flareth a little bit. <laughs> and I, I didn't tag him in my tweet. I said, you know, about, halfway through the first quarter it might not even been that long because i've said this before by the way but maybe it's because the game was in chicago and somebody saw it and pointed out to him i go i can't stand slareth as a colored commentator (laughs) and i got i think it was liked by almost 300 people and a lot of replies saying you aren't the only one he's awful and here's what it is I think an analyst has got to do their homework. It's not an easy job. Being an analyst is a hard job. But you better do your goddamn homework every week on those teams. A lot of these guys, they have these jobs for a few years. They work hard at it at the beginning, and then they get lazy. And then they just think, okay, they can go to the, the prep meeting on Saturday with the coaches, and they got enough to get by baloney you know you're you're supposed to be um not necessarily not influencing influencing the audience mm-hmm. but you're supposed to be helping them understand right right and and when when people don't do their homework they get names wrong things like that i you know and he works with adam amin who does a great job i think and and he's a local guy Mm-hmm. I feel bad for Adam that he's got to work with such a horse's ass. Bellissimo mm-hmm. mm-hmm. says half of them just talk on anything which will polarize then double talk about the other side of whatever opinion they have. And I have to agree with Bellissimo on that. The other thing that you're mentioning is, and you're absolutely right, they have a meeting with key players and the coaching staff and, and so forth. And so that's the amount of homework they do. And they shouldn't. They should be looking at tape. And they should have producers who are feeding them interesting things. Hey, this team is doing this on certain downs and situations. You know, it's a tandem. The producer and the on-air talent should be working together to establish a informative and entertaining broadcast. So uh, Schlereth and whoever his producer is, if he has one, I don't know, with all the cost-cutting nowadays, maybe he doesn't have one, uh, but they're all to blame, I think. 
You know, I, I'll tell you, like when Tony Romo began as an analyst with, with Jim Nance on CBS, mm-hmm. his, his first couple years, he was like heads and shoulders above everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and part of it was because he spent a lot of time watching tape during the week as if he was still playing the game. Mm-hmm. And he looked for tendencies. And there was times, and you probably saw some of these games, where they, you know, a team would come up in a certain formation to the line of scrimmage in a, in a certain down and distance situation. And he'd tell you exactly what the play was going to be before the snap. Amazing. You know, and, and he's good. Here's what they're going to do. Boom, boom, boom. And that's exactly what they did. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and that made the game really interesting. And you knew that he knew what he was talking about. Yeah, indeed. And I, you know, and I'm surprised that he would want to engage with you, Mark Schlereth. Uh, this is, uh, well, yeah, like I said, I didn't even tag him. And then he comes back and he, and he insults me and, and, and he goes, why don't you hang up the phone and listen? Well, I did listen, and I should have turned on the damn radio <laughs> because Tom Thayer and Jeff Joniak are a thousand times better. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed, <laughs> that is great. And you know, the other thing is is that he he disparages you in a personal way. Like, what have you ever won? Kind of comment. Where the hell does he get the nerve? He goes, I want. I got three championship rings. How many do you got? And I said, I said back, well, I've been to four Super Bowls and I won two. <laughs> I love you it. want to try again oh, i love it i love it all right well you mentioned tom thayer and i want to bring him up uh i want to begin this uh the first part of the show talking about justin fields in total but since you mentioned tom thayer i was listening to him this morning on 670 the score and he talked about that interception that was thrown by fields to equinemia st brown and one of the things that he said, which is sort of what I thought when uh, watching the play live, is that perhaps that was a throw that should not have been made by Fields because Jari Alexander was watching Fields the entire time. Uh, this is the play uh, that I'm talking about. Uh, Alexander's watching the play the entire time and basically knew that pass was coming. And he's he, gonna... jumped, he jumped the route. Yeah. Exactly. He did it real good. And, and here's a better example of he's watching. He sees what it is. Now, in fairness, EQ could have come out of his break a little quicker. I mean, he breaks down pretty good there at the, t- at the stem, at the top of his route. But he doesn't plant and come back. See, he takes a couple extra steps there. Yep. Yep. He doesn't plant and come back as quickly as you'd like. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, you know, and, and Alexander anticipates very, very well, he, uh, he's able to jump the route and get the interception. Mm-hmm. But part of, I think part of it is on EQ. Mm-hmm. But more of, a, more of the fault is... Uh, Justin making the throw. Indeed. And Berlissimo uh, is echoing your words. He took two false steps on that stem. And, you know, and that's one of the things that e- even Luke Getze should know this. Uh, you know, I got a guy running a pattern against a- another guy who has seen that player run that pattern probably a hundred times. And so that might not be the best pattern to call in this crucial moment of the game. And Fields obviously had some uh, other opportunities. Well, they're, to- they're teammates for three years if he doesn't know them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, you know, going against them in practice all the time. So, but, yeah, but it, it was, 
and and I don't remember much about the the last interception, but that you know when Green Bay got up by nine, it really didn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Because that you know you're forcing the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in all honesty, I I didn't really like some of the play calling in the fourth quarter. I agree. And the reason being, you know, if the play works, then it's a great play call, but they didn't work. So you can second guess them. Exactly. But (laughs) at that point when they were actually getting a little conservative on some of those third and shorts and stuff, I think Justin was 18 or 20 or 17 or 20 or something like that. He was throwing the ball as good as he's ever thrown since he's been a Chicago bear. Mm-hmm. And so, and 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 the line was doing a pretty good job pass blocking. Mm-hmm. Indeed, so, yeah. you know. So, you know, why not air it out a little bit and you know get the first down? And and Cole Komet, what did he have? Six catches last night or something? Yeah. Yes, this afternoon. I mean, you know, and you got third and three, third and four. Get the ball to him on a short route. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, Greg, uh, you know. Uh, Slap me in the face next time you see me if I'm totally off guard here. But you can tank without actually tanking, without having that mindset by going into a game and thinking we're going to have a very conservative approach to this game. We're not going to take a lot of chances. You know, we're we're not fighting for a playoff spot. We're fighting to evaluate players. And so perhaps that is why we didn't see some of the play calls that for me, an average fan, fairly obvious uh, uh, average fan is, is wondering why the hell did you call that? And not this, you know, am I wrong there? You know, that's a hard question to answer. And, and, and some people, I, I tweeted out late in the game. I go right now, the bears are playing like they want to lose. And that doesn't sit well with me at all. And somebody comes back with hey, the, the second pick in the draft is in play here. Mm-hmm. And so I tweeted back. I said, so what? You know, who cares? He goes, well, you may care now, but you're going to wish you had that pick, you know, two months from now. No, I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. It's about winning. And it's about, and, and you got a bunch of young guys that right now, I think the talent is a little better than the record, but right now these guys don't know how to win. Mm-hmm. And the only way you learn how to win is to win games. Yes. Good point. Okay. So yeah, there's been spot flag. Take away the second half of the fourth quarter. And Justin had a hell of a game. Mm-hmm. But he threw two picks in that thing, and he's got to learn to finish. They all got to learn to finish. Mm-hmm. Okay, granted, the defense is playing shorthanded. They had three starters out in the secondary. And what were they playing with? Three rookies in in, in the back end or two when, when you had five defensive backs when they went to their sub package. You know, they're, they're, the uh, Carson Houston and, and uh, Jalen were the only veterans. Everybody else was a rookie, mm-hmm. and you got to give some of those guys credit. They played pretty damn well. They, they, they played really, really well. But the, the defensive line is getting no pressure. Mm-hmm. Not a doubt in my mind that, that that is the most important need going into the offseason, mm-hmm. be it 
both free agency and the draft. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you got to get if you if you can get some, a good interior player in free agency, do that, and then draft an edge. Or if you got to, because I, I just think there's more interior players that are going to be available available in free agency than uh, edge players. And and when you look at, at who the potential edges are, and they could still end up re-signing, you know, with their with their team before free agency starts. Yeah, you know, I, I just think that your your chances of getting the the tackle are better than getting a quality edge. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Uh Berlissimo is in the chat room. And if uh those of you who are not familiar with Berlissimo. He's got a YouTube channel here where he does an outstanding job of breaking down tape. Every time I get a chance to check it out, I learn a little. Berlissimo writes, Greg, why do you call a wildcat play with a runner who can't pass when you have a passer who's more effective than you're back at running? Riddle me that. <laughs> well, they can, they, and they have done it. I don't know if they've done it this year, but actually they've done it in the past with, with him where he has run options and stuff from that wildcat. And so you're going to, he's going to run the ball. Basically what it's doing is giving them an extra blocker Mm -hmm. when it gets down to, because the quarterback gets taken out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Well, and Matt Eberflus was asked about that at today's press conference, and he said, yeah, we want to try to introduce the Wildcat more often the rest of the season because we want to save on the wear and tear of Justin Fields. So it's another way of them running plays out of that position, running plays out of that quarterback position, but not having Justin uh, carry the ball. And uh, uh, But the only thing and is, is that when you got a running back, back there in the wildcat, you know, they're running the ball. <laughs> That's okay. Right. <laughs> Where when Justin's there, you don't know what the hell they're going to do. Yes. exactly. You know, so it, it could be a run. It could be a pass. could mm-hmm. be a rollout. So you, you, the defense has got to try to, to stop Justin and he's already shown, you know, he, he did not run yesterday. He didn't get as many reps as he usually gets running the ball. But that didn't take away from the physicality in which he runs. Mm-hmm. I think he was a little bit more careful on when he hit the turf, mm-hmm. you know, slidings and, instead of trying to force the issue. But when the seam was there, like on the touchdown play, mm-hmm. I mean, he just took off and you, you aren't about to catch him. And I think, you know, a lot of that's instinct. You're yeah. not going to get him to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, really uh, entertaining things was to see him hit on long passes like this one uh, to EQ. Uh, you know, he came out of Ohio State with the reputation of being an adept, uh, really good long ball thrower, and he showed it yesterday in spades, right? I think he hit three. He hit uh, Harry on one, and then there was one other one. He hit long on, on the other side, going to the right side of the field. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and, and nice job there by EQ. This is the other one uh, to Harry. Sensational catch by the former first round. Oh, that's not it. What am I doing? Oh, that's the interception. I I, I forgot to load uh, the Harry catch, but uh, the Harry catch was a hell of a catch. Oh my! He had had to make a, you know, it was direct coming from directly over his head, and he had to make a real good adjustment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really, really special. Here it is. I think I got it now. There it is. Uh, This is the Harry catch. (laughs) And it's a nice pump. 
Justin looked to almost every possible option that he had, and he unleashed that. Well, if you looked at the beginning of that, that, that was a uh, it was a double move thing. He faked the, you know, he comes off the line and does like a, you know, a oh, quick yeah, pull yeah, and yeah, then yeah, takes Yeah, I missed that at the bottom of the screen. Yeah. Yep. Excellent job. And, uh, and again, a, a nice throw by Justin, but an even better catch by Harry. Sensational job. Just really, really good. And, and that's, by the way, Jerry uh, Alexander with a lot of trash talking, called Equinemius a, a St. Brown a scrub. Uh, and uh, uh, according to St. Brown, uh, Alexander uh, texted him afterwards and apologized for the insult. And so th those are the things that happened. In when did Alexander say that? Uh, immediately after the game in the locker room, uh, uh, Jari Alexander was asked about the bomb. Uh, no, it was asked about the interception, and I'm paraphrasing his response. He goes, yeah, I read it all the way. I knew it was going to happen. You know, I knew they were going to throw it to that scrub, and, and I picked it off. And so that, didn't, of course, didn't go over with Bears fans and, and, and the Bears. And then uh, Equinemia St. Brown this morning told uh, Courtney Cronin, that uh, he texted uh, Alexander texted the wide receiver and apologized for the comment. Well, hey, you know, heat of the battle type stuff. After exactly. the won the game, yeah. You know, you say you say shit that you don't mean to say, and sometimes you end up, you know, rubbing a guy the wrong way. But the, hey, it is what it is. Yes, indeed. Yeah, that that sport's not made for the meek. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> That's right. If you're worried about somebody saying something like that, then uh, you really should look at a different occupation. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about the offensive line. I thought they had another excellent day. Now, I'm well aware that Sean Gary is not a part of the defensive line. They've got some injuries with Green Bay. But, you know, when you're assessing uh, young guys like Alex Leatherwood, who had about 10 plays in yesterday's game, it was still a very impressive outing. Uh, do you agree with me regarding Leatherwood's outing yesterday? You know, I, in all honesty, although I got to relook at the game and, and watch the offensive line play, which I haven't done yet. Sure. And I, you know, I, I, I will get to during the week. Uh, all told, I thought the offensive line played pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, and and the, the guy I, I keep talking about and i'm going to because there's people that want to bang them and say they they got to get a left tackle with braxton jones he's not going to be a good left tackle he's going to be a very good to excellent left tackle in this league you know when you're going to get him a year in an off-season program where now don't forget this kid comes from southern utah you know what kind of off-season conditioning weight program do they have at Southern Utah as compared to an NFL club. And he's going to develop. I mean, he was pretty strong coming out. I think he did 26 reps or something like that, maybe 27 reps. And that, you know, for a guy that's got 35 and a half inch arms, that's pretty good number. But I, I think he still has to get stronger in the lower body build up his lower body a little better. Yep. That'll help him with his anchor. Uh, but he has got all the tools. When you see him out in space, mm -hmm. some of the movement things he does, that's rare. Mm -hmm. You know, this guy's really, really going to be good. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know much about Morgan, the offensive line coach, but it does seem to me, just based on what I'm seeing in terms of progress from players and, you know, the collection of players that he was given to work with, 
that this guy really knows what he's doing. What do you know about uh, Chris Morgan, the offensive line coach of the Chicago Bears? Well, you know, I've never met the guy. I, he spent five, six, seven years at Atlanta. And so he was in, in – Shanahan was was on that staff as the offensive coordinator for a little while, so he was very familiar with the offense. Mm-hmm. And after he left Atlanta, you know, Atlanta did a uh, changeover in the in the coaching staff, and he was last year he was the assistant O line coach at Pittsburgh, and then with about three games to go, the guy who was the head line coach left and took the job at Oregon, which is unheard of. Usually you wait, you know, until after the season's over, but he left with, with three games to go or four games to go. And so um, Morgan took over the, the Pittsburgh goal line for, for the last part of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I, I hope we don't lose uh, uh, any of these coaches in the off season. Um, I, I think the, all of the talk about Luke Getze becoming a head coach in 2023, those have started to, to uh, dissipate. And, and that's a good thing. I'd love to see the continuity of this coaching staff uh, remain. Is there anybody on the bears coaching staff that you might question whether they will be retained uh, in, in 2023? No, I mean, that's going to be, you got to be inside the building sometimes to know what's really going on. You know, how, how well the guy works with other people, mm-hmm. uh, the respect he's got from the players. And, and you're not going to find that out just, you know, watching a game on Sunday. But if you're at practice every day and you're sitting in some of the meeting rooms, then it's a different story. Yeah, indeed. Um, the running game uh, yesterday with David Montgomery, uh, your overall evaluation, and, and I don't know if you heard it. I should have pulled it. Yesterday after the game, Justin Fields did not mention David Montgomery by name, but did say on that third and sixth play that they ran uh, the ball with Montgomery. He said the running back could have run a little harder there. And so that, of course, the media – immediately started saying, yeah, well, that's something that a, uh, a quarterback should not say. And and your thoughts first on Montgomery and uh, Fields perhaps offering some public criticism of his number one running back. Um, number one, I didn't hear it. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'd have to go. I, I have all those interviews stored. I'd have to go back and listen to the post-game interview and, and exactly what he said. Um, as a quarterback, he's the leader of the team, leader of the offense. So if he thinks that somebody is not playing 100% and he's also a captain, in essence, yep. that, you know, it, it, it's fine, in my opinion, to say something. But I would rather he say it in private than say it to the media right after the game. Mm-hmm. Now, I know Montgomery had a presser little you know short time before we came on the air here mm-hmm. i don't know if he if anybody asked him about that yeah i didn't get an opportunity to listen to montgomery's press conference i started uh, afterwards um but uh his play uh, are you satisfied with it i know and the reason i ask is there just seems to be a lot of um uh fans 
saying, you know, perhaps he's not the best guy for this system. And in fact, Danny Sherman yesterday said that while Montgomery is a great asset for the team, Khalil Herbert is a better running back for this scheme because of his cutback abilities. Um, you know, Montgomery's a jump cutter, and he's very—he's a tough after contact guy. Mm-hmm. He's a different style than than Herbert. I think that they work well together in tandem mm-hmm. because they have they complement each other. And I think that you, when you have an offense where you're going to utilize two and sometimes three backs, you have to have players that complement one another. So each one's got can do something the other one can't. And Khalil Herbert is more of a home run hitter than Montgomery. But so what? Montgomery, though, I mean, he stonewalled some people in pass protection yesterday. Mm-hmm. Khalil Herbert can't do that. Right, right. And Khalil Herbert is not the receiver coming out of the backfield as Monty is. So, mm-hmm. you know, di- different strokes for different folks. It, it's uh, uh, I'd personally love to see him come back you know, on maybe a two-year deal, three-year deal max. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wouldn't want to do more than that. You know, they can make a deal. That, that He's well-respected in the locker room. The players really like him. He he leads by example. I don't know if he's much of a vocal leader, uh, but he is a captain too. I, I'd love to have this guy back. Indeed. Um, Spotrack has his market value at a little under $10 million. And there's a lot of free agent running backs available in 2023 the one that i would i would choose over montgomery is uh, tony pollard uh, who is playing really outstanding football uh for the dallas cowboys his his uh, market value as of a week ago was 7.7 million dollars according to Spotrack. but i gotta believe that that market value keeps shooting up every time that guy touches the ball because he's- oh, i got it Pollard's been around a little bit, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah uh, I saw him in the senior bowl four years ago. Yes. Okay, so he's going into a second contract. Monty's going into a second contract. Unless they're special, mm-hmm. I don't care what Spotrack or anybody else has as a market value. They don't get it. They're running backs. And, you know, it's like one guy said to me, you know, maybe they're going to trade Montgomery at the trade deadline. And and this general manager said to me, why? You can't get anything for him. He's a running back. <laughs> right. You know, so, you know, you give him a price. You give him a price that you're willing to, to live with. Mm-hmm. Or maybe a little bit more than you're willing to live with. And then you – and you keep the guy. Mm-hmm. But like I say, I, I – because he's already had some durability issues mm-hmm. and the shelf life of a running back isn't that long. You know, I, I wouldn't want to do more in the two year deal. He's going to want more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it, it's, I think that would be whether he take it remains to be seen, or maybe you can do a, 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 a three year deal with the third year having like a void in our option mm-hmm. here, a third year option on the contract. 
And I agree with J2K. Uh, Chase Brown, the running back out of Illinois, would be a perfect fit. And uh, I keep seeing him uh, when I read reports on him as a day three pick. And so uh, an early day three pick, if that's the case, uh, the Chicago Bears should. Well, look, look at, I mean, you got Khalil Herbert on day three. You get a lot of good running backs uh, in the uh, third day of the draft. It happens every single year. Mm-hmm. Chase Brown wouldn't shock me if he, I, I like him. I, mm-hmm. you know, I had to do him for uh, the group of people that I'm doing some stuff for. I had to do him early. It was like after their second game. And I really liked him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got great after contact balance. He's strong. He runs well. Uh, catches the ball well out of the backfield. I think he's going to run a little faster than people think. Mm-hmm. And if he runs as fast as I think he's going to run, you know, it wouldn't shock me if he went in the third round. But, again, he's a run of that. Mm-hmm. That defensive backfield, you mentioned there, there were all young guys and so forth. Um, I was re- super, super impressed with their play yesterday because one of the strengths about Aaron Rodgers and whether he's got weapons or not is that he – uh, will target uh, inexperienced defensive backs and pick on them. I mean, I've seen him go after a defensive back and multiple consecutive passes and just uh, take that guy apart. He wasn't able to do that for the most part against the Chicago Bears. Was there one particular guy there that uh, among the young guys? Because DeAndre Houston Carson, we, we, could, we could spend the whole show talking about how good that guy is. But any of the young guys that you want to uh, uh, highlight right now? No, I, I just was really impressed. In fact, the other Jones mm-hmm. from Ole Miss. Yes. And, and, you know, a scout told me about him who Ole Miss was one of his schools. And this guy was pretty talented. And he had a couple issues. I don't know what the issues were. But, you know, you go back and look at his workout numbers, off the chart type stuff now. I mean, high vertical, real good long jump, ran on the low four fours. He's got long arms, got everything you want. So, you know, you you, you look at the physical tools and you say he's he's like a day two corner, yet he waited till free agency after the draft in order for a team to sign him. And they, you know, you get him for nothing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Guy's a talented guy though. And, and, And so Guys like that, you get lucky sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's the same thing with Sam Warren. Mm-hmm. You know, I looked at, at, at the numbers, and we might have talked about this last week. His numbers across the board are better than Lance Briggs. Lance Briggs? Yeah. Really? I mean, you know, the, 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 the uh, short Olympics, you know, the, his 40, his shuttles, his jumps, they're all better than Lance Briggs. Not by a lot. Right. But Briggs went in the in the third round, and this guy goes undrafted. Mm-hmm. You know, Briggs ran a four seven eight. Sam Borden ran a four seven two. Mm-hmm. Wow. I I did not know that. So yeah, Sam Borden. He had a three cone, which is like a, a DB three cone. He had a six ninety two or six ninety three. Three cone. That's excellent for a linebacker. <laughs> it is. Sanborn, uh, his name came up a couple of times in today's press conference with Matt Eberflus, and uh, Eberflus was uh, uh, really happy with the improved tackling this week and cited Jack Sanborn because the week before he was tackling a little high, and he made that correction and was really uh, locking people up. 
around the midsection. So, uh, and then other things that we hear about Sanborn is not only that he has good instincts, but he spends so much time studying tape that that adds to his instinctive play and makes up for uh, any shortcomings he might have physically. He's, he's an impressive guy. I don't, you know, playing the mic position, if he was playing Will, you say, you know, you could say, is he fast enough? Mm-hmm. Is, do you have the speed that you want? He's not. He's playing the mic position. It's a steal. The guy's going to be, he's going to be your starter for the next four or five years unless he gets hurt mm-hmm. and maybe a lot longer than that, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so you, you got a bargain and the guy's a hometown kid. Mm-hmm. loves the team, grew up as a fan, so you know he's going to play that much harder. Yeah, indeed. Uh, let's get a couple of questions out of the way. J2K is asking, what's your opinion on signing Elton Jenkins in free agency? We've talked about him uh, in the past, but uh, uh, J2K was really impressed with Jenkins yesterday at left guard. Uh, overall, your thoughts are very positive on the guy, right? Yeah, but I, there's a couple guys I'd rather have. Okay. Uh, first of all, I think the biggest need is a right tackle. Okay. And that's based on, and, and I didn't watch Leatherwood. He might be the answer. I just know that he wasn't very good all last year playing right tackle. And I, when I saw how he was playing right tackle when he was laid off the ball and he was getting beat wide, and then you compare him to when he played at Alabama in the SEC and he never got beat wide and he set a lot quicker. So I think it, you know, maybe he's just a, a, a left-handed player. He can't play on the right side. And I've seen that happen with offensive linemen. You know, they can do one side, but they can't play the other. So my thought on him was maybe that's your, your future left guard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, but you still need a, um, a right tackle. Right tackle. And to me, there's two. There's, there's a guy at Cleveland who was a former number one with the Titans, and I can't think of his name right off the bat right now. Uh, Con- yes, Jack Conklin, Correct. and then Mike McGlinchey. Right, right. Both of these guys are are coming up, and you know somebody else mentioned uh, to me uh, the the Kansas City right tackle Wiley, mm-hmm. and you know I've watched him the last couple of weeks. I don't think he's very good. He's not even in the same ballpark. As <laughs> his movement skills are questionable mm-hmm. but they got so many other good people that you know he uh, they get put it this way they get by with him because mm-hmm. he's not making a lot of money as compared to some of the other guys and and, and i wouldn't want to give him money in in, in free agency mm-hmm. I'd, I'd rather go get conklin or rather go get mcglinchy uh if in fact they're going to be available mm-hmm do you think a guy like Orlando Brown Jr. is uh, worth the investment given his injury history um, and um, and the fact that, you know, at the combine, I mean, the photographs of Orlando Brown Jr. were funny as hell. <laughs> he's just well, – it's not a workout. Yeah, really. <laughs> I, I interviewed him that year Okay, down in Dallas for this – it was an ESPN show. but ESPN showed the show, but it was actually – the production um, was done out of here, you know, mm-hmm. from a company in Chicago. And they had me do a side thing where I was interviewing like a combine like interview. Mm-hmm. So I did five or six players and he was one of them. And he's really a good kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, one of the other ones was the tight end Andrews from, 
from Oklahoma who's now playing for the Ravens. Ravens yeah. And then uh, Edmonds, the linebacker for the Bills. And by the way, I tell you, that guy, I thought as a rookie, talking to Edmonds now, mm-hmm. that he lacked the instincts you needed to be a really good middle linebacker. Mm. Okay, now this is when he's a young player. Mm-hmm. So they don't have him for a couple of weeks. And he comes back and plays last week against New England. Mm-hmm. It was like, wow, did he get good all of a sudden? Mm-hmm. No, I mean, his anticipatory skills were outstanding. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But anyway, I, I, you know, it's going to cost $20 million to sign Orlando Brown. He is, and, and what he is, is he's a tough guy to get around because he's so big. And he's so long, mm-hmm. but is he exactly what you want in this outside zone scheme where you've got to get out and play in space? Mm-hmm. He can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if I'm the bears, I'm not going to, I, I, you know, I got, I got uh, Braxton Jones for under a million dollars next year. Why should I pay an extra 19 or 20 million to get somebody who might do, you know, he he might be able to anchor a little bit better, but he can't play in space as good. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Um, By the way, uh, Berlissimo brings up Ohio State Center. uh, I believe his name is Luke Wappler. Um, Fields has played with him, and apparently, Fields likes him. Have you seen the Ohio State Center at all? Uh, no, uh, the best center is actually a local kid. Who's that? And his, his name is Schmitz. He's okay. from down. He's from Flossmoor, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he's a little older. He's going to be a twenty-four-year-old rookie. I think he's a six-year senior because of red shirting, and you get the COVID year. And he's. I think he's going to be playing in the Senior Bowl. But he, um, his tape is outstanding. And Michigan's got a, uh, a really good center, too. In fact, I, I think there's some pretty good centers. There's like three or four pretty good centers this year. Mm-hmm. But unless I'm reading this totally wrong, you know, they went out and paid some decent money to Patrick. They wanted Patrick to be the center. He got dinged up in training camp, and then he had to play a position he's not good at. Mm-hmm. For a while, until people want to write him off. Well, you know, the coaching staff and and the personnel staff signed him for a reason, and they gave him that money for a reason. And you know, Getsy had been with them for years, so they knew what kind of player they were getting. And you go back and you look at Green Bay tape the last two seasons, and he was a damn good player. Mm-hmm. So, like I say, unless I'm totally reading this wrong, he's going to be the center next year. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Bellissimo also recommends we take a look at the tape of the uh, Michigan center. Uh, Victor. Oh, Tim, he's, I just mentioned him. He's a pretty good player. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I'm gonna... He's a transfer from Virginia, I think. Gotcha. You know, he played there and then did, did a grad transfer to Michigan and a very, very good player. Yeah. Um, very and... athletic. He's more athletic than um, the Minnesota kid. Mm-hmm. But uh, not as gritty, you know. The the where like the kid from Ola Timmy's more of a finesse guy, where the kid from Minnesota is more of a bulldozer. Mm-hmm. 
lot of people in the chat room are wondering about Lucas Patrick. I know you're still high on him because you looked at the tape from him in Green Bay and you were very impressed. But my question for you is, you know, how quickly is, you know, guys can fall off a cliff athletically almost overnight uh, because of injury, because of something going on in their lives or something like that. Is that something that you would agree with or do you, is it usually much more of a gradual decline in players? You have any concerns about Patrick is my, 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 I've never seen that with offensive linemen unless the guy just doesn't work. Right. In fact, usually it's the other way around. You just keep getting better. Mm. Okay. And to the best of my knowledge, he's never had any really serious injuries, Mm -hmm. you know, where like he's like a torn ACL or something like that. You know, he's uh, he's had typical offensive line type injuries. Uh, he's got a foot injury was his last thing that, that he's going to need his surgery for. I think that's why he went on IR. Um, but I don't I don't see that for an offensive lineman as being a, a game changer. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to go back and and again what he what he didn't practice. And, and what the coaching staff thinks of him, what the, the front office thinks of him, that's going to um, see somebody Tony, the pod says he just isn't good. Uh, I, I'll argue that all day. Let's go get some green Bay tape from last year. And you tell me he's not good, mm-hmm. you know, because he was damn good. Yeah. The, but the you small know, so, sample size here with Chicago uh, is, is what's raising people's eyebrows. Well, right. And, and I, I get that, mm-hmm. but, has he ever been healthy this whole season? Don't forget, yeah. they signed him to be a center. And then he got dinged up in preseason. Mustafer goes in and plays center. And then when Patrick's ready to play, Whitehair's hurt. So they had to put him at guard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's not, not as good as guard. He's a better center. Yeah. He played left guard and right guard, so yeah. not not a not a good f- formula for success there. Um, back to our questions, uh, J2K is asking. Uh, uh, this, oh, we we talked about this. The center position is very deep in this upcoming draft. Is there someone you like? So we've already touched on that. Um, Ryan uh, two thirty three. How many quarterbacks are going in the top fifteen, Greg? What's your guess? Because obviously that's important for the Chicago Bears. We want to potentially look at trading down, and if there's going to be a run on quarterbacks, uh, that might help the Bears. You know, looks like Houston's going to have the first pick, Mm -hmm. and they're going to have a quarterback need. So if there is a quarterback that they feel is head and shoulders above everybody else, they could take them. Mm -hmm. But now there's a big but you put into that. They're also going to have another pick in the top ten. Okay, so knowing that <laughs> and, you know, knowing how Nick Casario, their GM, was brought up under Belichick, are they going to take the quarterback at number one or take the best player? Because in my opinion, and I've done the top quarterbacks, mm-hmm. I don't think there's one worthy of number one. Wow. I don't know if there's one worthy of a top three or top four. That doesn't mean they're not going to go there. Right, sure. Because they always get, you know, was White worthy of the number two pick? 
after the fact? I mean, I, I didn't like him as the number two pick when, when the Jets took him. Mm-hmm. I didn't like Trey Lance as the number three pick. You know, you, you looked at the thing. And, and North Dakota State was not a big passing school to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then in 2020, they don't play. He plays one game. Mm-hmm. And that was just to showcase him. And the year before, he, he was good, but he's playing against FCS-level competition. It's not like he's lining up in the Big Ten or the SEC. Mm-hmm. You know, so and I think we talked about this at one time. You know, I, I was texting back and forth with Daniel Jeremiah. I said, I don't get it. Mm. And, you know, DJ said it's the, they're looking at what they think he can be. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I get that. Sure. That's a I wasn't, but I wasn't brought up that way. But isn't it a, a scout's job to, uh, 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 what's the word, um, is to look forward, to see, you know, to to prognosticate is the, not the right word that I'm looking for, but to see what the ceiling is for the player. You know, what, what can they develop into? And so, therefore, sometimes you, you invest in somebody because they got a high ceiling. Okay. I, and and I, I, I can see that with some other positions but we're talking quarterback where experience is very, very important. There used to be, when I came into the league in the early Mm eighties, you know, the rule of thumb was you wanted a guy to be a two and a half to three year starter. And people weren't throwing the ball like they throw the ball now, but two and a half to three year starter and 900 passing attempts. Well, shit. Now you get 900 passing attempts in the year and a half, the way some of these teams throw the ball, but you know, most of the teams were playing pro-style type offenses, mm-hmm. not the spread football. It's a totally different game now. Uh, but you wanted that play experience, that game day experience. And that's why it said, you know, I want two and a half years or even three years of starting experience. Then I know this guy's played a lot, you know, and he's and they still had a sit and wait. Aaron Rodgers waited three years. Now, granted, he had a Hall of Famer in front of him, but he still waited three years. Right. Yeah, it's it's different now. Today's football is definitely different in that they, um, in the quarterback position is valued as the first pick of the draft, but the players necessarily don't fit that value. It's it's it's. I, 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 it's a very overdrafted position. Oh my goodness. Now for, you know, for the Bears' sake, you want somebody, and I was having a conversation on Twitter yesterday, the same one where he said, well, you know, we're talking the second pick in the draft here and somebody's going to want to come up and take a quarterback. And I said, that's the point. Mm-hmm. I know the quarterbacks. I don't say, you know, there's nobody at the quarterback position that I give up a boatload of draft picks to get get mm-hmm. I, I do it the old-fashioned way and sit and hope yep. but you know you gotta pay go back in the history you know go back the last 10 years and how many teams moved more than just a couple picks to get in say the top five yeah for, for a quarterback mm-hmm. and really there's not a lot yeah san francisco did it to get lance right 
you know, and, and, but like Chicago, when they took Mitch, they were already at three and they just moved up to two. So you can't count that one. That was just a dumb trade. Yeah. They moved up to two to get a second round quarterback. Uh, that's what I said at the time. And I'm sticking to it. <laughs> um, um, you know, so, does it happen? Yeah, but there's got to be somebody special. Mm-hmm. And now if Houston plays the game right and holds their, their cards close to the vest and nobody knows who they're going to take, you know, they might and, – and then they end up taking – let's say they take Anderson. Or they take Carter, you know, either one, because one's a three technique. And I, you know how if Lovey still has the job, you know, I know that three techniques, you know, means to Lovey. So, you know, then if Houston takes a positional player, then, you know, I, I just, you know, you, you could get a situation where somebody may want to move up. But do they want for a guy they still might be able to get two or three picks later? Why would they give up a boatload of picks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I, I get what fans want, but what they want, what's going to happen, are two different things. Well, and and that is also part you know better than me about all the phone calls that are made, all the rumors. Oh, this team wants this guy at number two. It's player agents saying, oh, this guy that that and so forth. It's all the the machinations of uh, of the draft that can put a value on a player that he really doesn't deserve. Well, yeah, and, then, and that's the agent's job. The agent's going to go to the media and say, you know, hey, there's about four teams that want this guy real high. You know, and because and, I'm telling you one thing, the teams aren't doing it. Remember, this is the lion season. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it's just about getting ready to start. And the, t- the team's aren't about to tell you who they want and who they don't want, mm-hmm. you know, and you can play the game real well. You go to all the, you know, if you, you go to the different pro days or you can really do it the opposite way too. Mm-hmm. not go to, you know, do a private workout and not let it get out. And then uh, don't go to any of the pro days as far as the quarterbacks go or whatever. But, you know, I, I, <laughs> People always have a way of trying to find out, but I think right now as we sit here today, there is no clear-cut, obvious number one player in the draft. Mm-hmm. You know, right now you could throw a, a bucket of a, probably a half a dozen players at the wall, and it wouldn't surprise you if any of those guys went draft. Now, one really good player decided to go back to school, mm-hmm. uh, and it would have been more than likely the first offensive lineman taken – that's Fashano from Penn State, who was only a, a sophomore eligibility-wise because he redshirted. Uh, and, and I talked to an agent who was in on him, and, and I said, is it, a, is it you know, a done deal that he's not coming back? He goes, no, he's, he's, he's going to go back to school. He goes, he's really young. Mm-hmm. He goes, we talked to him. he's 19 years old. I say, and I think his family knows it. He's not emotionally ready to compete against men for a job. Mm. Now he's physically ready, but there's a difference between being emotionally ready and physically ready. 
Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Well, and I remember, uh, well, renewable has an interesting point here. The senior bowl and combine will probably shift the top guys by then anyways. And, you know, I remember going to the senior bowl when Jordan love was playing there, there were all sorts of questions about Jordan love and so forth. But during that week of practice, he created a lot of, uh, lovers of his talent and 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 i think green bay you know maybe overdrafted him at the time and it may pay off he he, he might end up being a, a worthy successor to Favre and rogers uh, but talk to me about what the combine and senior bowl can do for to a player's value we all know that it's the tape that's number one but sometimes you know, these guys get fall in love at practices with some of these guys. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to tell you, as far as the combine goes for quarterbacks, does absolutely nothing. First of all, you've got scripted throws, but you're working with receivers that you've never worked with before in your life. Mm-hmm. And you get like two throws and you go to the back of the line and then it's 10 minutes before you get to throw two more throws against, you know, with different receivers. Um, You can't penalize a guy for looking bad. And if if I was an agent, I would not have my quarterback throw at the combine. I think it's just ridiculous the way it's set up. It's just not, it's not set up for the guy to look good. It's, it's set up for him to fail. Wow. The way, the way the whole, that's my opinion, the way that's set up. Now for the other positions, it's a different story, but for him, no, now what's, what is semi-important, but they're not long enough Mm -hmm. is the interviews, but those are only 15 minutes. Yeah. That's not enough time. And you know, and I've written about this before in pro football weekly and in the national football post, to me, with quarterbacks, it's all about the private workout. Mm-hmm. Because a private workout, and I could you know, go on for hours about this. When you go to a pro day workout, you have, and it's a quarterback. You're going to a pro day quarterback workout. You can't even touch the guy. <laughs> you, it, it's hands off. The quarterback guru, be it Palmer or one of those other guys, totally works the whole workout he writes the script the script is rehearsed day after day after day this kid knows exactly what he's going to do when he's going to do it who he's going to be thrown to etc it's been totally rehearsed so and, and they're they're scripted to emphasize the strong points of the player and not show his weak points hmm. okay so now you let's flip the switch a little bit and we go to a private workout with a quarterback. First of all, it's a, it's a six or seven hour ordeal day, whatever you want to call it. And that, you know, you're coming in in the morning. First thing you're doing is sitting down with a player. You're talking to them, interview type thing, getting to know them a little bit. And then you're getting them on the board. You get them in the classroom. And a lot of times you might install some of your offense. And so what do you want, what do you want to find out there? Well, there you're, you're finding and you're watching, you want to see how he takes notes and how quickly he can pick things up because you're going to install like, you know, four or five plays and then you're going to let him study it for five minutes. 
10 minutes, and then you're going to bring them up on the board and say, okay, give me this one, this one, this one, and tell me what each guy's got to do. Okay, it's not easy. No. <laughs> and, and he hasn't prepared for it. So it's all new. So now you're seeing how, how quick the brain works mm-hmm. and how he takes coaching and how attentive is he in a classroom session, okay, and how serious he is. So then you get to the next step, you go out on the field. Okay, I just taught you all this stuff, and we installed this. Now we're going to take it out in the field and see what you can do. So it's instead of working from the strong points of the player in a scripted workout, it's all thrown at him quickly. He has no idea what's coming, and he's just got to react to everything. <laughs> and so you come away from that thinking good, bad, or indifferent about the player. Mm-hmm. Unless you go in with a preconceived notion that this is my guy. you know. And, and if you do that, you're making a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, did you hear the story that Patrick Mahomes shared uh, regarding Matt Nagy, that Nagy uh, told him the day before the interview with Reed and the other c- coaches, told him what he was going to be asked to repeat in terms of the plays, the sophisticated plays. Yeah, I, saw that. I thought, you know, first of all, I, I fell in love with Mahomes as soon as I started watching his tape from Texas Tech. And But that aside, I thought what Matt Nagy did there was irresponsible for an assistant coach to do to his organization. What do you think? Well, when I first heard it, I thought it, two things. That's the guy he wanted and the guy he wanted to coach. So I, 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 I can't blame him for that. He's trying to undercut the process a little bit mm-hmm. or undermine the process a little bit. Indeed. But he, wa- he wants his guy and he wants to be able to, you know, work with that guy going forward. And he doesn't know he's going to be a head coach a year from then. Mm-hmm. The other side, though, fast forward to a year later, and he's the guy here. Mm-hmm. He didn't want that guy. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, so right off the bat, he comes in here with a bad taste as a mouth against, you know, the guy he's got a coach. Yeah. And he obviously lied in the interview. Yeah. I like Trubisky. I can make him work. When it was clear from his actions that he was not a, a Trubisky backer, you know, he, he wanted that head coaching job. And I also think it's disrespectful for the scouting team because let's say somebody in the scout, Kansas City scouting team says, really, we should try to get the Sean Watson. I mean, this guy is a big, big time college experience. He blah, 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 whatever. And then you got, some guy undermining the scout by giving away the plays that are going to be asked about uh, in, uh, in the pre-interview. I just think it's 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 undermining in a in a very criminal type way. No, I I, I know what you're saying, but I also know that <laughs> the, no scouting staff, <laughs> the scouting staff was really on board with with Mahomes. Uh huh. I mean, going back to the fall. Yeah. You know, they really, really liked him. He was their number one guy. Uh, and then Watson was the number two guy. 
All right, let's get, uh, knock out a couple of these questions. And then I want to ask you about Baker Mayfield because it's breaking news that he's going to be the quarterback. But let's get knock out a couple of these out of the way. Stephen, the breaking news that he's what? I mean, he's been waived. But he's what was he's been waived, yeah. So uh, let's talk about him now, and then we'll get to the questions. What okay. do you think about the whole Baker Mayfield situation, him being what he, he asked to be released? I saw that right yeah. before we came on, which I didn't know. I saw, you know, earlier in the day that he was – going to be released today, but I didn't realize that he had asked to be released. Yeah. Uh, number one, I think he passes through waivers. You know, he's we're past the trade deadline, so he has to go through waivers. You claim him and you're picking up the remainder of that contract. It's only till the end of the season, but still it's a pretty good chunk of change. Somebody may do it, but you know, they may, you, you got a better chance of getting them a fair deal even you know and and say you want to add some time to it by hoping that he gets gets through uh waivers and then as a free agent tomorrow afternoon so do you foresee him uh joining the 49ers you know that's that's a good question and being that garoppolo is done with a broken foot mm-hmm. lance is done and and you got a team that you think has a chance to uh be a pretty good playoff team you're gonna go and and i'll tell you i like brock purdy oh he was coming out i mean i not just yesterday i mean okay. I, I liked him there was just something about him mm-hmm. you know his moxie it's not you know i didn't want him as a first round guy sure. but you just liked the way he played mm-hmm. and you know just the way he handled himself he could come up with big plays when they needed big plays a tough guy uh he was a leader but mayfield's been in big games he has played good he hasn't played good in the last two years but he's played good and and shanahan's a guru you know, so does it make sense? Well, yeah. Now they, they stole player off a practice squad, Johnson, mm-hmm. who's about a hundred years old. He's he's our age. I mean, he's been, I think he's like thirty eight or something, isn't he? I yeah. mean, he played he played in the XFL and he was an old man. Mm-hmm. But he's also played with about fifteen teams in the league too. Josh Johnson, yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a a journeyman quarterback who's pretty sharp and in, in our league in the XFL he was he was very good in that league for the LA team but he is what he is he's not going to win any games for you mm-hmm. not in the NFL he can get you out of a game but you don't want to have to be a starter and so yeah I, I if it makes sense for anybody it would be San Francisco could Houston do it? Yeah, and Houston could, you know, they got money. They could claim them. Contracts up at the end of the year, and then and then they could, you know, make a decision if they want to go forward with them after this year. And then that, if they do that, then they could say, you know what, now we don't have to take one in the first round. We can get one of these other guys a little later. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a lot of this in the play. Yeah. And it would be interesting 24 hours to see how it goes. I wanted to bring them up by sitting because I think, uh, now granted, I'm, I'm 
kind of banging Trevor Simeon because he didn't play well and he was hurt mm-hmm. and, you know, ended up having to have surgery. But I just did not see the arm talent that you need in this city to have any kind of success because the conditions that you have down at soldier field, you know, five, six years from now when they're playing in a dome, it'll be a different story. Mm -hmm. Now, granted the, the, you know, the oblique, if, if that was bothering him and he couldn't step into the ball the way he wanted to and get enough zip on the ball the way he wanted, Okay, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll give him a pass for that. But I'd have to go back and, and, and see his throws in the preseason because I just don't remember. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I've always respected him because he's a very knowledgeable quarterback. But he, is he what you want? Or do you want a guy that can do some things? He's got that athleticism to create with his feet to be fields back up. So you don't have to change your offense that much mm. if you go down. And so, you know, the one thought I had was maybe a guy like Mayfield at the right price would be a decent backup here, mm. but is he going to buy it? He wants, he's a competitor. He wants to be the starter. Right. And, and when you got a guy like Justin Fields, he is your starter. So whoever comes in here has got to have that understanding. Mm. I'm not competing for the job. I'm going in as the backup. Mm. You got to have that mindset. That's interesting thought. I, I, I frankly never entered my mind that Baker Mayfield potentially to the Chicago Bears. And I know that's just speculation on your part. Uh, not, and, and you're not speculating. I'm just thinking about it more the future. Gotcha. I mean, right now you got Nate Peterman as the backup and you still got four games to go. You know, and Peterman worries me. But uh, <laughs> let me ask you this: Would you be comfortable if the Bears, you know, let's say the Bears traded out of the number two or three spot and acquired lots of draft assets, and they picked up a quarterback in the with one of their two uh, third round picks or one of their two fourth round picks? They picked up a quarterback. Would you be comfortable? This is a hypothetical, and I know hypotheticals are, are BS, but would you be comfortable with a rookie quarterback as the backup to Justin Fields? Um, it's a good question. I think I'd still, even if I took one in the second round, I'd want a veteran backup. Okay. For first, first, first year. Gotcha. But okay. And, and then, so this guy would be number three. Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea of bringing in a quarterback who has similar athletic skills to a Justin Fields to be either the second or third stringer. And that whole, you know, every couple of years at least, or every three years at least, you should be drafting a quarterback that you could put into your developmental pipeline. And maybe you strike big like the Packers used to years ago when they traded Brunel, when they traded uh, a number of other quarterbacks uh, that they acquired via the draft. Um, it's it's a practice I would love to see the Chicago Bears. Enter. The thinking, if you're going to draft a quarterback, the thinking that you have to have mm-hmm. is that this guy's got starter traits. Not that he's necessarily going to be your starter, oh. especially if you got an established guy, okay. but a guy that has the traits, the talent to be a starter in the league. Mm-hmm. And so, and if, you can't give that 
you know, have an affirmative answer with that, then you got to pass on the guy. But if you see starter tendencies, then yeah, go ahead, take them. And and the thing with with quarterbacks is the good ones go real high. Then there's now this is generally speaking not every year because there's every year there could be a little caveat to it, but then generally speaking, some good quarterbacks start to fall because teams don't want to take a quarterback in the second and third round. They want a positional player that's going to step in and help them where the quarterback that you take then isn't going to help them. Not at least not that year in most cases. So you end up getting a guy that could be a second or third round value in the fourth round. Yeah, that's, that's, that's an interesting thought. And one we'll be talking about a lot in the weeks ahead. Um, let's knock out two or three of these questions and, and pull the plug on this episode. Uh, I'm going to start with a, with a softball here. Steven says that he's losing confidence in Matt Eberflus. Is he wrong? I think that's a one-word answer, don't you think? Well, <laughs> why? Yeah. I, I, wish you, I wish we could talk with some of these guys. You know, yeah. Type in why. I mean, he's got a depleted roster, mm-hmm. especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yep. The fact that they're staying in the games. Mm-hmm. Is and I'll tell you, I, I listened. I didn't hear the beginning of Flus's presser today. Caught the last couple of minutes, but that's what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. Them, you know. Did you listen to it at all? Yes, I did. Okay, so you know, these guys are working hard every day. The coaches are working hard every day. They're and, and he said, you know, he wants to develop a championship mentality, and he emphasized the word championship. Mm-hmm. And he is happy with what he's seen. He's not happy with losing. Nobody's happy with losing. Right. Uh, and as I said at the beginning here, these guys have not learned how to win yet. And that's the hump. Now, a lot of fans, especially the draft fans, they don't want them to learn how to win this year. They want them to learn how to win next year. Right. Well, next year may be too late. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to have a couple more wins this year. I, I, I who, agree. Who, who's it going to be? Who knows? Detroit. Detroit's playing pretty good football. They are. I mean, that, that's a very talented squad, and they're going to add to it with multiple first-round draft picks this upcoming season. I'm a little worried about those ass wipes. <laughs> oh, no, they're always going to be Detroit, so don't, you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> very good. <laughs> All right. Uh, Greg uh, says that you should be a general manager. Teams elevating and selecting mediocre quarterbacks is so high as absolutely ridiculous. And I agree with Mr. Dredd. <laughs> well, you know, know what it is, is that you, you get caught up with the need. Mm-hmm. And so then you overvaluate the position and you get scared. I got to get one. I don't have one. I got to get one. Right. Okay. And let's use the Colts, for example. They're going to have to draft one. (laughs) Okay. They went out and tried to get veterans. I mean, hey, it's nobody's fault in the franchise that Andrew Luck decided to pull the plug on his career a few years ago and just say, I'm done. Mm -hmm. You know, and so, you know, they had – they traded for Brissette shortly after he retires, mm-hmm. but he wasn't the answer. Then they get Philip Rivers, who actually played pretty good for him. Yes. But 
he, he, you know, he was getting ready to collect Social Security. <laughs> he needs it. <laughs> what, what, <All> Wentz, <laughs> as, as we're finding out very quickly, Wentz is a, a non-desirable in any locker room. Mm-hmm. You know, it is now three teams that have said, see ya. Where Washington hasn't done it yet, they've done it by they're not, he isn't playing. Heineke's playing regardless. Mm-hmm. And so then this year they go with Ryan and his arm shot. You know, it's an older guy and, and it hasn't cost them a lot of money, but they've got to draft somebody. They really do. You know, and, and so that could be, you know, he may be forced into a position where, you know, I, 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 I got to get, they've only won four games. They might not win another one, mm-hmm. but he may be forced into that position where he may have to, to move up. Now he may like, you know, the, the, and it happens like the, you get lucky and, and there's the consensus number one and the consensus number two, but the best guys number three or number four, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you look at it, uh, Josh Allen is a perfect example. Josh Allen was, you know, there's a lot of people that had concerns about Josh Allen uh, because he didn't play good at, at Wyoming against the better teams, never completed 60% of his throws. Holly is a, it was like a 55% career passer at, at Wyoming in an offense where he should be a lot higher. So they had questions about his, his accuracy. Everybody knew he had the big arm, but what they didn't know is that his football character was off the charts. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that stuff happens, and you get lucky. I remember those people saying, oh, they should take Josh Rosen. Well, Josh Rosen was, you know, a guy nobody wanted in their locker room. He was hated at UCLA. Mm-hmm. But that's what a, a scout's job is. You've got to find those things out. And a lot of times, you know, the public isn't going to know that stuff. A lot of questions in the chat room, like from Matthew asking about Ballard. Do you think he sticks in Indianapolis? Uh, or do you think that with the need for a quarterback that they might just bring in a whole new regime to kind of handle that transformation from one quarterback era to another? I know that's well, I know one old. thing. If they got rid of him, he'd have a four-year paid vacation. <laughs> Fire me, please. <laughs> Had a pretty good chunk of change. Yeah, so not going to happen. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's got a contract through twenty six. Yeah, that's and a good, good deal for him. I, I think if something was going to happen, and, and Chris has said nothing to me. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's some things we talk a lot, but there's some things you just don't talk about mm-hmm. unless they want to bring it up. Yeah, and it's you know I think he. After Frank got let go, I think he felt, you know, he had a heart-to-heart with the owner, and I think he felt that he was safe. Good. Now, whether that remains to be seen, I mean, they got blown out yesterday, and, you know, the Indy fans are down on them right now. Uh, I'd be shocked if he's gone, though. He's done such an incredible job in every area of the team. Uh, Except the most important. Exactly. And it's and, not- and then he was throwing a curveball. And I'm not making an excuse for the guy, but he's he was throwing a curveball that was 
mean, he takes over that job. He takes that job because he's got a, a superstar playing the position. Right. It's not a curveball. It's a knuckle curve. It's it's oh, a yeah, wildest man. pitch. And, and, and then all of a sudden it's, it's pulled out right from under him. Mm-hmm. Ryan233 asks, who's the most talented football player from this draft in your eyes? That's it's a- probably too early to say. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll tell you what, the guy that going back to school might have been the most talented. Mm-hmm. You know, Fashano from, from Penn State. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, if Anderson had a year, if it, Anderson's year this year was like it was a year ago when he had 18 and a half sacks, mm-hmm. then I'd say no question. And then Carter. Mm-hmm. And, and right now, and, and obviously I'm thinking defense, but I, I, I don't think there's a quarterback there. And the point I was, I was trying to make before got there is the quarterback that gets the least amount of publicity that may be the number one quarterback taken is Levis from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people in the league that really like Levis and they're, they're thinking is he's, you know, he doesn't have the supporting cast that they have, you know, the Stroud's got at Ohio state or Young's had in Alabama, you know, he's like a, a, poor cousin to those guys when you look at the, the talent on the field with him, but his natural physical traits are better in both. The only thing wrong with young is that he's small. Yeah. You know, he's five, six foot five, 11 and a half. I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe 190 pounds. He's not a very big guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stroud good player, but he pisses down his leg in some of the big games. <laughs> and there's people, you know, when I make phone calls, that question his overall arm talent. Hmm. You know, he's got a good arm, but like the, the guy at Kentucky, Lovis has got a cannon. Hmm. Now, I'm not saying the arm strength is the most important because it's not. You know, it, it, it's uh, accuracy, anticipation, your instincts, uh, getting the ball out of your hand quick. Um, but you know, where's the guy, who's going to be doing the drafting? So, you know, let's, let's say Chicago had a quarterback need and, you know, they're picking one or two, like they might end up picking this year. And you're going to say, can this guy play in Chicago under the conditions that we have in Chicago where the wind is going to win? Yeah, that's right. Okay. And, and where, you know, Justin Fields, can play in the wind oh, yeah. because he's got great arm talent. He doesn't have Josh Allen arm talent, but he's got great arm talent. Right. And, and so those are questions you got to ask. I remember when, when I, you know, I went down to Purdue to make a school call uh, when Drew Brees was in his final year there. And the day I went there, it was like a Chicago day, really, really windy. Mm-hmm. They're practicing at, outside and, he couldn't complete a 10 yard out Wow! in practice. He was short on all of them. They're in the dirt and you looked at the tape and you love the tape, but you, you know, you watch practice in those conditions. And I remember I put in my report and I was, I think it was my first year here. I said, if this guy plays for the right place, he's going to be good, but it's not going to be Chicago. It's not going to be Buffalo. It's not going to be New York. Mm-hmm. 
because of the, you know, at that point it was the old giant stadium and that place was a wind tunnel, <laughs> you know? So he ends up, where'd you get drafted? San Diego. And then he goes to New Orleans and like everybody, his arm got better. Mm-hmm. They get better once they get into to, uh, NFL weight rooms and, and they know exactly how to work, you know, what muscles to work and how to work them and, and get more zip on the ball. But let's say he got, he didn't go to San Diego and then New Orleans. Mm-hmm. What if he had had the career that he had down in New Orleans? Because really it was New Orleans where he put up all the numbers. Fascinating stuff, uh, Greg. Uh, Danger T uh, says, who would be the top two quarterbacks in this draft? Would you have Levis up there in the top two? Myself? Yeah, yeah. I, Levis and Young would be first. Stroud would be third. Oh, fascinating. Okay. Let me get a couple more out of here. And uh, Larry is asking, what kind of a haul can we get for the second overall pick if the Bears were to trade back? The interesting thing about this, Greg, as I actually looked into this, is that you're almost guaranteed to get another first-round draft pick in the following year. So 2024, the Bears probably get a first-round draft pick and then a latter uh, first-round pick pick in this year's draft uh so well, it depends and and we'll hit this later i mean because sure. we can use scenario we'll, we'll know who's drafting where right okay and and who has a need mm-hmm. and so then it's okay okay if this team trades up this is what it's going to cost mm-hmm. now, generally speaking you're going to pay a little bit if you're trying to get a quarterback and you're driven to get a quarterback then you're going to pay a little bit of a premium Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know, let's just for sake of argument, let's say it's a a, a fifteen hundred point move or something like that, mm-hmm. and you know, using the chart, well, you may have to pay seventeen hundred. Just and and that's if you're going into that top two or top three, but then you know, it's where are they coming from? Where's the, where, where are the people trading up from? Mm-hmm. You know, if they're trading up from five to two, yeah, you're going to get a little package, but it's not, and I don't have the chart in front of me, but it's not going to be like if it's going from 10 to two. I mean, look where, where, what the Giants get from, where were the Giants at six or five? Uh, when, no, seven. Giants were at seven when, when the Bears moved up to get fields, right? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so what was it, from 11 to 7 they went? So, you know, you look at that, and that's what they had, and they paid premium because he had to get a quarterback. Yeah. All right. Uh, last question. Get you out of here. I know you got more important things to do. <laughs> uh, do you think – I got so many great questions here. I got to pick one last one. But I want I want you to talk more about Nikhil Harry uh, and sophisticated ass. Do, should the Bears retain Nikhil Harry? It seems like every time he actually is given a chance to perform this season, he has. I don't know why he hasn't gotten more snaps. Overall, this former first round draft pick for the New England Patriots picked up for a seventh rounder by the Bears from the New England Patriots again. What do you think about him? Should he be back next season? Yeah, I don't think any of us have the answer to that. Number one, I mean, he was he was hurt. So then he, he has performed. 
But then he, the last few weeks, he was scratched. He was a healthy scratch. Right. Weird. So he only got one target yesterday, and he made that great catch. Mm-hmm. And that's going to help him. I, but if you listen to the coaches talk, and they're not, they don't specifically talk about, you know, individual players, but just, you know, as a group, you don't perform in practice. You aren't playing on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that tells me that he hasn't performed in practice. Oh, okay. Two plus two equals four. <laughs> right. And, and so if they, if they like him enough to, you know, give him a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. And, and cause that's what I'm thinking. What else are you going to pay him? Are you going to, you're not going to give him any money. Mm-hmm. He hasn't earned it. You know, so, you know, you give him a one-year deal like uh, St. Brown got. I mean, St. Brown wasn't drafted as high as, as Harry, but St. Brown had more production at Green Bay than Harry had. Harry's only had one year of production, really, at mm-hmm. New England. The rest of the time, he, he hasn't done squat. And this year, and part of it was injury, but he he's, was healthy the last few weeks and didn't suit up. Mm-hmm. There you go. Wow. Hey, did you notice one thing that I, and I, it caught my eye? You know, they got playing Gunner now on the left side. Uh, I didn't notice. The fast guy from Tennessee. The fast guy from Tennessee. Uh, Wide receiver. Oh, Valus Jones. Valus Jones is, is playing Gunner. I did not notice that. I'll be taking a look at that in the All-22. When it's finally released, they keep jerking us around the NFL+. Plus. Anyway, uh, great stuff, uh, Greg, as always. Uh, do you want to do a show next week or take the bye week off? That's up to you. No, we'll do a show. We can, and we can um, start talking about free agency in the draft. I mean, that's what everybody wants to talk about. No, you know what? You're a fan. I'm a fan. We want to see wins. But right now, the majority of the fans mm-hmm. – Want them to lose every game and have that high pick, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, who was it? Sylvie had a tweet that got a lot of likes last night, you know, about you know, yeah, we want to win, but you know, we got the special quarterback now, we just got to get the rest of the guys in it. You know, it, it's not going to hurt us if we lose. So, you know, I, I, I can't get my mind wrapped around that though. You know, it's, a, it's just never been part of my DNA. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it leaves a, a stink on players when they lose. And uh, you certainly don't want guys like cornerback Jalen Johnson to come back next season. He's one of the leaders on defense, at defensive back. And to and to carry with him that, that stink of losing seven, eight, nine, ten consecutive games, it's a very difficult thing to get rid of. And, and maybe he's not the best example. Maybe some of the younger guys like the Briskers and, and the Gordons uh, are, are better examples. You don't want to, them to get infested with this losing culture. I get it. Same time. I would love to have that second overall. Job. No, I, I, and I hear you. So it's, it's conflicting, but at the same time, Yesterday, perfect example. Mm-hmm. 
you know, an opportunity to win the game. <laughs> it probably happened five times this year. I mean, you know, except for a couple plays and a couple penalties, this team's got a winning record. We both know that. Mm-hmm. So, but, but, but you look at it and they lose. And it's like, you know, if I'm a player, I'm thinking, what the fuck do we got to do to win? You know, cause they played really well for three quarters, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and, and then it's like, okay, Something's going to go wrong. I know it. And when you've got that mindset, you know, that, that prevents you from, from finishing. Mm-hmm. So you got to have, you, you got to win some games yeah. to help these young guys develop. Right. And, you know, the coaching staff is already talking to players about leaving good stuff on tape, about playing for pride, about all of these things that you have to, as a coach and a leader on the team, remind players and encourage players to go out there to win games. Now, maybe Luke Getzi needs that speech, too. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Luke. No, no, I, hey, you know what? If the plays work, we're, we're, we're going like this, you know, that's the nature of the game, but they didn't work. And and the bears were throwing the ball pretty damn good yesterday. They really, really were, you know? So in fact, we got more production out of the wide receivers. I think in any game this year, there you go. And, and you didn't have money in there. Right. Interesting. And then that's maybe a topic we can explore next week is, Without his so-called uh, safety blanket, Darnell Mooney, is this these next three, four games? Is this an opportunity for him to start to become more aware of the other guys on the teams? And one of the things that perhaps he learned from watching the Jets game on on the sideline is just throw it up to EQ and Harry. Those guys can make plays because Trevor Simeon went into that game with the idea, I'm going to throw it up for Claypool because he can come down with the pass. And and, and I know Field said, I, I learned some stuff from uh, from Simeon in that game, and perhaps that was one of those things. No, it, it, it very well could be true. You know, mm-hmm. and he loses his security blanket. So now, who got targeted a lot yesterday that hadn't been targeted at all? It was mm-hmm. EQ. Yeah. Sorry to everybody whose questions we did not get to. But well, we can, uh, I can do one or two more if you want. All right. Well, okay. Stephen Nagishi, who uh, – I just got to have some blood work done, you know, and I don't, I don't want anybody to stick a needle in me, so I'll stay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to clean the house. I got to clean the garage. I'll, I'll stay longer, too. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Nagishi – by the way, my wife is in Hawaii. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. So you're, you're a bachelor again. I'm a bachelor again. So what do you mean you got to clean the house? You don't have to do shit until she day before she gets home. That's right. Thursday's going to be a very busy day. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm driving to the airport this morning, and so I ask her, so what are the things you're going to be doing in Hawaii? She, she says, well, we're having an event in October of next year, 2023, and um, we, we're staying. The event is at the Four Seasons where I'll be staying, and we want to see what kind of things that they have that we can plan for for fun for the attendees of the event. And I'm like, okay, so you're spending – So it's a scouting mission to scout. A, a, a scouting mission to scout, right? <laughs> About the fun things you can do at the Four Seasons in Maui. <laughs> what a job, man! <laughs> I, I've I've been to that hotel. That's a, I think it's the, the Four Seasons that were, I stayed at. Is that over on the point? Yes. 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 
Oh, it's okay. gorgeous. I've been there once. Yes. Thayer, Thayer lives 15 minute walk from there. Uh huh. Nice. Down down the beach a little bit. Tom Thayer, huh? Looking yeah, good. There's Thayer has a uh, a he's had, unless he got rid of it in the last two years, he's had a condo on Maui forever. Mm-hmm. I told you the story, didn't I? That I went, you know, Robin and I went to the hula bowl. So this was 2004, January 2004. And, you know, Thayer was there because the Bears weren't in the playoffs. So Tom says to me, and I, and I used to be a Harley guy. Mm-hmm. So he goes, you got to get a bike. You know, they, they rent Harleys at uh, the Maui Harley Davidson. And he said, rent a bike and then take the road to Hana. Have you ever been to Maui? Yes, I have. Have you ever taken the road to Hana? Never. Okay. Well, Hana, it's only about a 45, 50 mile drive from where all the hotels are. And it's right along the coast. And Hana's this little village at the other end of the island. Okay. But you're going along the coast and there's a 25 mile stretch Mm -hmm. on this road where it's all hairpin turns that averages like 30 turns per mile. Mm-hmm. And they're not little turns like this. They're like this, you know, hairpin turns. There's no guardrail. Sometimes, you know, the, it's like a cliff and then you're going to drop a hundred feet down or maybe more. <laughs> so <laughs> I have no idea. So I, run a Harley. Oh no. <laughs> and Robin's on the back. Now, if I was by myself, mm-hmm. it would have been, I would have loved it mm-hmm. because you know, it, it, the bike's easy to control, but when you're going through the curves and you got a passenger on the back, mm-hmm. the passenger always leans the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're going around a curve and you're going to the left, you got to lean left. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, the passenger leans right. And it throws off the balance <laughs> of the bike and it makes it a bitch. Oh my goodness. So this thing was 45, 50 miles. You'd think it'd take you know an hour, right? Mm-hmm. It took two and a half, two and three quarters hours to get there. And now, and then we have lunch, and then you gotta come back. And there's only one way you can come back, the same way you came. <laughs> Because you can't go around the other side of the island. There's no road. With the same passenger leaning the wrong way. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was brutal. It it was like being on a five and a half hour roller coaster ride. You know, and and probably the worst roller coaster you're ever on. And so that night, you know, Thayer says he was going to take us out to dinner. So we meet him at his condo. The first thing I say to him, I go, you rotten motherfucker. <laughs> and he starts laughing his ass off. He goes, he goes, I set you up, bro. <laughs> oh, Tom, there, come on. We have to have a little talk. <laughs> my wife never got on my bike again. Oh, no. <laughs> never. That scared the hell out of her. And I, you know, I had a bike here. Yeah, I had a Heritage Classic, and she would not get on it again. Oh, that's too bad. Because uh, that can be a lot of fun on a safe road, <laughs> one that goes straight for many miles. 
All right. Uh, I want to get back to uh, Stephen Nagishi. We we asked him, you know, can can we have a why are you disappointed with Ibraflus? And he says uh, part of his frustration is the Bears might not win another game this year. And then he adds, and if you're not winning, what does that say about the coaching staff? Well, I I I get what he's saying, mm-hmm. but I think they're they're playing with a deck that's doesn't have fifty two cards in it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. To be honest, yeah. I mean, you know, they're 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 missing a few pitcher cards. There. Mm-hmm. I think the 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 a lot of fans have not embraced the fact that this was a teardown year. We're tearing everything down. We're bringing in players not because they're going to help us lose games, but to see if these veteran guys still have something left that we can add to the team in 2023, 2024, when we're expected to play better and have more assets, better uh, a better roster. Uh, and this was signaled throughout the preseason by – Uh, before the season by Ryan Post and Matt Eberflus when they were saying things were not afraid to play young players. You know, that's that's code speak for, yeah, we've got a lot of young players who, you know, we want to test out. That's not what... Want to see who can play, who can't play, uh, who can practice, who can't practice, find out about their football character. This is a tryout year is what it is. Thank you. Well put. And, and, you know, when, when you... Before the season even starts, you're going back to last spring, you trade Khalil Mack, and then you trade Roquan, and then you trade Quinn. I mean, that's three key members of your defense. Mm-hmm. Okay, and your pass rush, you know, not they don't have a pass rush right now. Yeah. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> you know, and, and which tells you they gotta go out. That's why it's the main need. You gotta go out and you gotta get a, you gotta get a couple pass rushers, you gotta get a couple interior guys. Yep. I um I've actually been playing around with mock drafts, Greg, uh, just so I can become familiar. You know, it, it takes me an hour to do a mock draft because when it comes to my selection, there's a list of players there, and I do a little research. Okay, who is this guy? What's he done, and so forth. And inevitably, I'm I'm always picking defensive linemen in that first round because that's the greatest need for this team. The, no one on the defense is going to play better until we start to control the line of scrimmage. We saw it yesterday with Aaron Rodgers having so much time to throw. On one play, he had nine seconds to throw the ball. That's Should I what... complete a pass if I had nine seconds? <laughs> no shit. You and me both. I, and I can run out and catch one. <laughs> no, maybe not. <laughs> Uh, right. to myself. There <laughs> you go. All right. This I actually told Berlissimo this might be a better question for next week because Greg then would have some time to think about it because it is a complicated uh, question. But I'll toss it out here. Maybe we can revisit it next week. If Greg is general manager, which teams is he letting know that we are open to offers at number two? And does he tell all the teams he calls, knows all the teams he's called up? Uh, he's called to up the price. Some, you know, GM gainsmanship uh, question from Berlissimo. Rule number one, don't pick up the phone to make a call. Let them call you. That's right. You've lost all your bargaining position as soon as you make a call. Mm. Charlie Casserly used to, what he used to do, and he did it every year and everybody would laugh at him because he said the same thing every year. And it's like, didn't he remember that he said that last year and the year before and the year before? Yeah, he'd, he'd say in January, oh, I've already gotten calls for my pick. 
my ass. Nobody's making calls. You know, <laughs> down the road, <laughs> you know, you, it wasn't until the last couple of years when Philly traded early and then San Francisco traded, what, three weeks out from the draft or four weeks out from the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both times moving up to two and number three to get a quarterback. But until that, everybody waited until like the day before the draft. You, you know, that week leading up to the draft is when you start making the calls. Mm-hmm. And now what when we were picking and we wanted to move down, all we would do to advertise is just make a call and say, hey, you know what? We're eyeballing somebody. Mm-hmm. And if that somebody isn't, and you never name the name, but if, if that person isn't there, we might be willing to trade. Just wanted to let you know. Okay. Okay. And that's it. Well, and then, and, and like the year we, we traded down so we could get Devin, we mm-hmm. had seven teams calling us starting two picks before we were on the clock. Oh, wow. Okay. To, to, you know, we traded out of the first round. Right. You know, we had we had a late first. We traded out of the first and, and got a second and a third, I think, for, mm-hmm. to move out of the first. And I think we were picking 29th or something like that. Mm-hmm. And or 28th. And we had a number of teams wanting that pick to get into the back part of the first round. Mm-hmm. But all we did was say that. And we didn't do that until three or four days before the draft. Mm. Okay. You know, so you don't, you don't, you're not going to do it now. I mean, it, it, if the team wants to pick, they're going to call you, but they're going to call you when they're ready to call you. Gotcha. You know, very subtly, Ryan could say, just, you know, pull a Charlie Casserly and say, yeah, I'm getting calls. And that's all he's doing there saying is my pick is for sale. Mm. You know. And and wouldn't also just a lot of teams presume, let's say the Bears have the second or third overall pick, presume that the Bears might be interested in dealing just simply because of the state of the team and they want might might want additional draft capital. They don't need a call from Ryan Poles to say, you know, I'm interested in acquiring more draft capital. What are you offering? I think teams can no, then you're, you're, that if you do something like that, like you said, it you're, you're dealing from a point of weakness, then yeah, yeah, makes total you know, sense. So, yeah, so because then you're saying, Well, and, and I'll give you a, a perfect example because, and I think we talked about this once, and I wrote an article about it when I was with the Giants, mm-hmm. and it was the uh, the year Simeon Rice came out, and we had the fifth pick in the draft. And we had, we were happy taking any of our first four players, hoping that one would fall to where we were in the fifth. And one was Keyshawn Johnson. There was uh, Jonathan Ogden, Simeon Rice, and then the other outside backer uh, from Illinois. I can't remember what his name was in that draft. And the hot running back and back then running backs were, you know, considered top five, top 10 picks was the screwball from Nebraska, Lawrence Phillips. And it, the, we were hoping, I mean, the giants hierarchy at that point, I wasn't a decision maker. Uh, 
that somebody would want to come up and, and get Lawrence Phillips. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, Baltimore, Mar- Art Modell owned Baltimore at the time. And he had told Wellington Mara that he really wanted Lawrence Phillips. So that's what we were kind of banking on because they were picking in front of us. But that was Ozzie Newsom's first year running the draft. And Ozzie said, we can't, he's a screwball. We can't take him. We're taking Jonathan Ogden and he's going to be our starting left tackle forever. And, you know, he went round and round with Mr. Modell and Ozzie won. And, uh, you know, that was the beginning of, of Ozzie's great drafts at, at Baltimore. But we were stuck. What it taught me, and what I wrote about in this article, and I wrote it a couple of years ago, and Peter King picked it up and, and talked about it, was that we weren't prepared for the worst-case scenario. And that's what you got to – in any draft you go into, you got to be prepared for what if the bottom falls out and you're looking at nothing. And, and the people – George Young was there then and Tom Boyster, they're – both long gone. Um, but they weren't prepared for one of those four guys not being there. So we didn't have a pick at five. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was like, what do we do? And George, and George was trying to trade out and nobody gave him anything. <laughs> and, and wow. Cause they knew he was in a bind, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? So, and, and he was the guy making the call. And so, you know, somebody, somebody said, I'll give you a seventh to move up like five, four or five spots. Mm-hmm. And so I can't do that. I mean, because he, he, he would have screwed up the integrity of trades in the draft, you know, in the first round by giving that, you know, by giving the pick away. Yeah, right. So we, so we make a pick and the guys, you know, it was – it just didn't turn out to be very good. And it was because we weren't prepared mm. and you've got to go into a draft and you have to be prepared. Mm. You got, that's what, you know, it taught me one thing when I came here, cause I can't, you know, it was just a few years later that I got here and oh, like five, six years later, but it, it taught me that when you go into the draft, you got to anticipate the bottom's going to fall out. Yeah. And what are you going to do then? Mm-hmm. And it's too late when you're on the clock. You got to have that. That plan's got to be set in stone. So that's why you got to, you know, if, if you want to move out, you got to just let it subtly be known that you may be willing to move out. And when people know that ahead of time, then they'll make the calls. They'll call you on draft day to move up. <laughs> Very seldom will they leave it alone. So, but we're. You know, like when we traded here, we were never at the top of the draft. People don't want to trade up unless there's somebody really special to get in that top five because of the ransom you got to pay. Right, right. And if it's, you know, um, if, if they perceive that quarterback is a huge need and whether the quarterback deserves to be drafted at two or three or four or not, Sometimes they'll pay that ransom just because they want to address the quarterback position. I'll tell you about what we'll do next week, just okay. because it's an off week. And, and we'll go through the last 10 drafts okay. to see what trades happen in the top five. 
Well, love it. Or let's say the top seven, because if they win a couple of games, they're not, you know, they're going to yeah. drop down a little bit. But and and then you're going to, you know, you're going to see there really weren't that many. Yeah. Well, that that's going to be an interesting exercise. I'll do some homework on that and send you some stuff. Um, what about uh, Jordan says that uh, he might want to give Greg, uh, uh, Greg did it again, Chris Ballard a call and say, I'll take your number nine, uh, DeForest Buckner and some mid-rounders. Now, DeForest Buckner has a huge contract. He doesn't get rid of Buckner. Christ, he just traded for him two years ago. <laughs> and were- that's the guy he wanted. That was his three. Yeah, right. Um, and I'm looking at his uh, contract. He's scheduled to make uh, a cap hit of $20 million next season. A 19.75 would be his salary. Do you think Ballard would want to pay that uh, in 2023 or or potentially try to rework he's, he's not, I, I'd be shocked if he tries to trade Buckner. Mm-hmm. No, he's, he's – knowing Chris the way I know Chris – and it depends where they're going to be picking. Uh, you know, I don't even know where they're picking now. They've nine, won four. Nine. Okay, they're nine now because they've won four and a half games. They had the the tie counts as a half a win. Yeah. So, but they might finish with four and a half games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe they're going to be picking six. Mm-hmm. Well, look at some of the quarterback. Where'd Mahomes go? Uh, Ten. Okay, where'd Josh Allen go? Seven, seven. Uh, you know, <laughs> sometimes the best quarterbacks there, you know, and, and, and so, and if he likes, say he likes, there's the top three and he likes all of the top three. Yeah. He's not going to move up unless he doesn't think he can get them at, at six or seven. Mm-hmm. Why should you? But that's, you know, part of the research. That's what you start doing. You start to think, okay, Who's thinking what? And you, you you get a pretty good idea who's thinking of moving up. Yeah. What's going on in uh, uh, at NFL draft or college scouting departments right now? Uh, what are, what are they doing right now in preparation for the end of the season and for the combine and all star games? What are these guys doing right now? Well, we would have had. Based on how the schedule hit this year, I would have had the scouts in last week and they would have stayed for, or no, excuse me, this week. They would have come in Saturday, would have gone out to dinner, gone to the game yesterday, and we'd meet this week. They'd go home Friday and we'd cut the list. And we had talked about that. You know, you're you're, you're starting, you got 1,500 names, 1,800 names, and we'd pare it down to less than half of that. And then you meet again in February before you go to the combine. And that's a longer meeting. That's two weeks. And then you're cutting it down again. And you're starting to put a real board together, but you still don't have all the information because you don't have medical and you don't have verified measurables. And you got to have those things. Gotcha. Because, you know, if you think a perfect example, everybody loved that wide receiver last year at Purdue until he ran and he ran four seven. Yeah. Yeah. And then he wouldn't run again. Hmm. And so he went a lot later than everybody thought he was going to go. Interesting. 
Um, would so so names are could potentially be uh, erased from boards at this point in the season, as early as this this point of of, of the draft season for lack of a better way of putting it oh yeah and, and when i was uh consultant for philly we did the same thing we met in december mm-hmm. and eliminated you know you're slapping a, a preliminary grade on the guy it doesn't mean anything it's it's a lot of times it's a you know the highest grade that you have in your system of, of the different looks that you got and it's just a preliminary board but we used to we in the December meetings, we would eliminate and then we'd make the cross-check list because then going forward between now and, and the All-Star games, the scouts would do their cross-checks and each guy, and we did it by position. Um, like Jeff Shiver had the uh, tight ends, Mark Sadowski had the defensive line, Rex Hogan had the receivers, Ballard had the DBs. There was always a lot of DBs, so I did the DBs in the offensive line. Uh, Jerry did the offensive line. And we, you know, we try to give the scout 20 to 25 names to look at. Mm-hmm. And then he, and that's just, and they're not necessarily the 20 or 25 best, the 20 or 25 that fit what we want to do you know, that are fits for the system offensively or defensively. And then you'd have the scouts stack them best to worst within that group. So, and then, then we'd make another list and say, you know, these are the players we want the coaches to look at and get their opinion. But we try to limit their looks to like 15 players. Okay. What about pro personnel departments right now? Are they gathering information of every potential free agent that's going to be out there and maybe marking down the likelihood he'll hit the market, the unlikely to hit the market, or stuff like that? What what, what are they doing right now? Well, they, I mean, d- during the year, they're, they're doing advanced, but it's like, you know, depending on how big your pro department is, generally it, it's broken up, maybe – you know, if you got three or four guys in your pro department, one guy does four games, another guy does four games. And it's very rare that they're doing a game, you know, consecutive games yeah. in advance because advanced work is hard. Right. Um, and so you got to do a lot of work. But at the same time, you get to know that team pretty good because you're you're writing up all their players for the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. The. But the other thing they're doing is that they're looking at the potential free agents, but they're eliminating guys just like the college guys eliminate guys. You know, you're not going to, in this defensive scheme, you're not going to see them trying to, you know, waste their time doing a Ted Washington type player. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. He's not going to play in this scheme. So you want to find, you know, those types of players the guys that they think are fits for the scheme offensively and defensively, and then go from there. So, you know, um, offensive tackles, you got to have a guy with some movement skills because of it, it's an outside zone scheme. So they want to have some guys who can play in space. So you're going to check everybody, which you're going to say, okay, we're going to cross it. This guy we're not going to take, or if we, he might be the sixth guy we want. 
could be the third guy on somebody else's list, but he might be the sixth on this list because of the scheme fit. That, that to me, I just, I find that entire process that these scouting departments pro and, and college are the, the process that they're going through. I find that fascinating because that's half the battle. If you've got a good process uh, and, and I'm really asking you this question, if you've got a really good process, isn't it going to help you immensely when it comes down to evaluating players and prioritizing players on your board? Oh, yeah. But, I mean, but you're only as good as your evaluators are. Okay. Okay. But now at the same time, like with free agency, free agency doesn't start till March. So the season, now this team's not going to the playoffs. So the first thing the coaching staff will do and, and this has been true with any club I've been with, as soon as the, the, the season's done, they review their own players, you know, their own team. Mm-hmm. And you go through, and, and we used to have a, a meeting where we'd go be the head coach, the GM. I, a lot of times it was at the same time when I had the scouts in in February. So the, the coaches had a few weeks to get ready for, uh, for this meeting. And they would go over position by position, who they wanted to retain, who they want to get rid of, that type of thing. If there's a guy, you know, coming out of contract, is this a guy we want to keep? So you'd have those discussions. Is the arrow going up or the arrow going down with this guy? Mm-hmm. You know, what his future is? What's, what's the plan for him? And, and that would usually go on at the same time I was meeting with the college scouts or maybe a week before. Mm-hmm. And then you're given your, just like I got to give the coaches, you know, 15, 16, 17 names to look at the draft. Well, the pro guys are giving the coaches some guys to look at for free agency too. And in some cases they may have coached some of these players before. So they have some inside information on the player you know, might be a guy they want to work with. That's another fascinating part of all this inside information that is acquired during um, the uh, scouting period. So college football is done with the exception of the playoffs. So where's your head at? Playoffs and bowl games. Right. A lot of bowl games. There's about 30 of them. Or oh, my goodness. Uh, where's your head at with the four teams that have made the college football playoff? Um. God, I'd hate to see Michigan win. I'm not a a Michigan fan. Not a Harbaugh fan. Um, I think Georgia's going to take the whole thing. Yeah, they look. They're just they're they're just too damn good. Yeah, I mean they they don't have a weakness. I thought, to be honest with you, Mm -hmm. that when TCU lost, that Bama was going to sneak in. I've had that same feeling, and. You know, and, and the reason being is not that I didn't think TCU was deserving, mm-hmm. but up until yesterday, no Big 12 team that didn't win the conference has ever gotten into the, the final four, so to speak. Is that true? Wow. Because the, the Big 12 doesn't get a lot of respect. Mm-hmm. Now, the committee may have changed a little bit. You had some more Big 12 people in there. Uh, especially, I don't even know who the head is and what, what school he comes from, but the big 12 has gotten no respect at all in, in 
previous playoffs. And and so when TCU lost, I just thought, shit, they're they aren't getting this one. Well, I'll tell you, but just the eye test alone, that that's a really good football team. Uh surprising that they lost that game, but uh I'm glad that they're in the uh, in the top four. Alabama is going to the sugar bowl to play the Kansas State Wildcats, who won that game against TCU. So that's gonna be an interesting match. Yeah, well, well I'll tell you I'll tell you what about there were probably about six or seven guys from Bama that opt out, mm. you know, because they're not in the playoff. Uh-huh. So they'll, they'll see you later. At least they, they will probably go attend the all-star game because they know that will help them immensely. Uh, depends. And not if they're first round guys. Okay. All right. So, so you know, it, it, I mean, there'll be some, first round guys that obviously go, mm-hmm. but um, a lot of times they, you know, qu- I think quarterbacks should go because they, now the senior bowl doesn't have the, the NFL coaching staffs anymore. That's right. He's, we got yeah. East West has it. So we're going to get two, you know, full staffs. I heard I mean, right now, the way it looks right now, the bears are going to be one of them. I was just going to say, it could, could be one of them. Yeah. Um, that would be great. The, and then the the senior bowl is going to have NFL coaches, mm-hmm. but they're going to come from all different staffs. But oh. you know, a guy from San Francisco, a guy from the Rams, a guy from the Colts. You know, I mean, they they, they pick and choose. And, and aren't they going to alternate that every year? So that then the following year, I thought they were, and from what I understand now, no, the East West is getting oh. the coaching staffs all the time now. Congratulations, Eric Galco! Wow, excellent work. All right. I'm going to pull the plug. It's a two-hour show. Extra. Send your money. I'm going to set up one of those uh, tip jars on our chat room, and so all those tips can go to Greg Gabriel. Uh, he needs some Christmas money for uh, for gifts. For how many grandchildren do you have, Greg? A dozen. <laughs> oh, my God. Jesus. Do you buy presents for all, all dozen kids? Or No. <laughs> Good man. No, I got, I got, the oldest is like... 28, 29. Tell you what, if you see us, do you like Stella beer? Yeah, I love it. Okay, there's an ad, mm-hmm. a Stella ad. I wish I had a picture of it with me. I, um, where a girl is, you know, drinking a Stella mm-hmm. with talking to somebody else, and that's my grand, my oldest grandchild. Oh, wow. Yeah, she's in New York. She's a model now in New York, and she hit the big time. I love it. I love it. Do you have that picture up on your timeline on the on the Twitter feed? No, I don't. I gotta um let me see if I can find yeah, that it in here. I hold it real close to the camera. And my 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 daughter's mm-hmm. um she's got it on Facebook, my daughter does, so I gotta Greg has um a very short shopping list for Christmas. I, on the other hand, even though I have just one grandchild, I have a very long list. Um, so I'm trying to figure out how to do some online shopping and get it here on time. Because last Christmas, most of the Christmas gifts I gave out were uh, after the first. <laughs> <laughs> after when the first of the year? Here it is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know if you can... Well, uh, no. how we do that? Yeah, a little higher. No, little, oh, let, let me get rid of your name. Let me get rid of your name, and then that'll help uh, with, with the picture. Oh yes, okay, this the one drinking with the beer is right. my 
oldest granddaughter. I don't know who the other one is. But that's <laughs> on a billboard in LA right there. How awesome is that? A so, um, and, but it's, you know, it's a national ad. Yeah, that's money, baby. Yep. That's money. She can buy her own Christmas presents. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm happy for her. She's, she's doing a uh, hell sure. of a job. But we'll we'll have to hire her, uh, Greg, to do some modeling for the uh, Gabriel Talks football ads for 2023. <laughs> I don't think we can afford her. <laughs> uh, I can't afford you either. <laughs> but I work. Yeah, but I'm now. still here. <laughs> You're the absolute best. We will be back here next week, and we're going to ha- talk about all sorts of different things. And if anyone has ideas on things that Greg can talk about uh, in next week's show and in future shows, just hit him up or me up on the Twitter machine, and we'll be happy to look into it. Uh, tonight, it's Bears Country Podcast with uh, the two Dans and Cliff Victoria. Cliff Victoria does a really cool thing where he has Cliff notes on the game, and that's always a treat. And then the two other Dans, you know, do fart jokes and stuff like that. So if you're into that, tune in Bears Country Podcast at 7 p.m. Central. For Greg Gabriel, my name is Aldo Gandhi. Take care, everybody. See you later.